All right, guys, welcome back to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And, you know, people have been in real estate for a bit. You know, maybe you got in in like 2010 or 2015. But how many of you survived 2008 in the the housing correction or crisis, depending on what side you were on? My guest, Henry Munguia, he's going to tell you the story of how he made it through and how he's been able to persevere since then. Henry, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So when we were talking a little bit before the call, you'd mentioned, you know, you barely made it through that. And a lot of people didn't. Tell me about your experience with that. Because you got started in 2005, you were saying, right? Right. So I actually got started in 2005. I had attended a real estate investment course. They were coming to uh, San Antonio for the weekend. It was a three or four day course that I remember I paid a thousand dollars for. And a lot of people told me I was crazy, but it really opened my eyes to to all the different facets within real estate. So when I attended that course, I ended up buying an additional four courses for fifteen thousand dollars. And the people that thought I was crazy for buying the course for a thousand bucks, they thought I was really crazy for buying those four courses for fifteen grand. So anyhow, I ended up doing it. Um, I had just uh, got back from my. Uh, working as a civilian contractor in Iraq for a couple of years. So I had some savings to to do some stuff like that. And I, I really wanted to pursue real estate. Mm-hmm. So I started attending these courses. I, I went first, they called it like real estate university, just talked a little bit about general, you know, just general real estate. Mm-hmm. And the next course I went to was wholesaling. And when I went into wholesaling, you know, I left there and just started hitting the streets, started dropping a bunch of signs. And I just, I just knew when I first got started, my goal was to own 10 properties. I just wanted it. I figured if I own 10 rental properties, um, I can retire, you know, my early fifties, have them all paid off and everything would be golden from that point forward. That was the vision. I was in, at this time, I was in my late 20s when I started taking the courses and buying real estate. But going back to the uh, 2008 market crash, man, I was able to buy my first four rental properties with zero money down. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought I thought that was a great thing. I was just going and walking into these new home builders, getting approved with no money down. And before you knew it, I I, I owned four houses, four middle income houses. Um, so then I wanted a fifth one. Again, I was trying to get to 10 houses and they were letting me grab these houses. So I was just getting them and renting them. So my fifth house, they're like, listen, you're considered a real estate investor. So you got to put some money down. So I was convinced to pull a line of credit against my first property, which I had a VA loan on. And I went and bought my fifth property. So I was in my late twenties. I had five houses. I was halfway there is the way I looked at it. Mm-hmm. And being in my late twenties, you know, most of my tenants were my age today. Right. So I had zero experience. And then all these people started getting laid off and man, they just weren't paying the rent. So thank, thank goodness. I had, I was in the middle East for a couple of years. So I still had a good savings and that savings really allowed, or just, I was able to hold on to these houses um and through this time frame 
you know, I, I, were they were they sitting empty or did you have to like prop them up while the tenants promised to pay? Yeah, a little bit of both, man. A little bit of both. I was really uh, some tenants would leave and then I couldn't get them re-rented because no mm -hmm. one is wanting to pay the rents. And back then when I was buying these houses, interest rates were like 7%, pretty mm -hmm. similar to where they are today. So the mortgages were fairly high. And uh, man, you, I just couldn't get them to rent. So I was having to cover a lot of these rents. And eventually, I w went through all my my savings, unfortunately. Um, even got to the point where I was being foreclosed on some houses. But the lenders allowed me to do what's called the loan modification. So mm -hmm. three of the houses, I was able to do loan modifications on and actually save them. So I actually got them saved. The market started to correct. By this time, it was already like 2010, going into 2011. So the market was starting to get better. So I was able to get tenants. I was able to get these houses occupied again and get. I was able to get back on my feet. Thank goodness I was able to get those uh, loan modifications. But the, really, the my savings from working overseas plus the loan mods, I was able to hang on and didn't lose any of my properties. So... That that was my my dilemma. Yeah, most people don't most people crash. don't have those savings, right, to go up against the empty houses. So, when when you were going through this towards two thousand, uh, I think you said two thousand eleven. Were you doing any other real estate, or were you just like buy, hold, and pray? I was just, you know, what I was doing. I was doing some wholesaling. Yeah, and trying to fill the bank uh, account back up. And man, it it was wild because I would. Back then, when I was assigning properties, I was assigning properties making may maybe a two three thousand dollar assignment fee. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I but it remember. was, and I looked at those in terms of just covering mortgages. So if I had two or three deals, hey, I'm covering some mortgages, and that's how I just mm -hmm. just ran through the system. Meanwhile, I'm working nights, so I was working nights at a freight company, and then during the day, I was running the streets trying to sell, buy and sell houses. So it was just like a full-time gig. I was sleeping maybe three hours a night. So, man, it was brutal. It was brutal. And it was just, wasn't educated. I was in a hurry. You know, money was cheap. You know, the we were able to get loans at that time fairly easy. And it really bit a lot of people in the butt. And I really paid for it. I'm just glad I didn't get foreclosed on. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. You know, you, you you had a night job and a lot of people, when they get into real estate, their schedule is like everybody's. It's a nine to five and it's actually like contesting the real estate window. So you were able to like wholesale all day. You had two jobs, three actually, a landlord to pay for your other things. And you went to work all day to pay for your your mortgages. And then at night you went to probably keep the gas in the car, right? absolutely absolutely man but i, I like the um the schedule you know i'd say that people want to get into real estate if you can try to like carve some time to be active in the day because if you're trying to be an active real estate investor not that you can't but wholesaling it's kind of like uh it's a pretty active kind of day job thing absolutely and it was and it worked out fine because what i would do my schedule um Back when I started wholesaling, I would just drop signs. And there wasn't a lot of signs. Back in 06, 07, there wasn't a lot of people dropping signs. So I would, 
every Sunday night I would go blast the city with 50 to 70 signs. And I had my routes in the city and I'd drop them and my phone would start ringing Monday morning. I'd drop them Sunday night into Monday morning. So Monday morning till about Thursday, till the signs got pulled down, I was on the street yeah. just looking at houses. So, and it was, it was, I'd get off of work at nine or 10 AM and then I hit the street. And then I'd come back yeah. afternoon, sleep a few hours and go back in. Mm-hmm. That night. So it worked out. It was just it was just a brutal grind. And yeah, the sign just, just, the sign game is tough, man. And and right. I don't feel like it's as a, as good as it used to be. Like there used to be maybe less of them where people would be more curious about them. Cause I remember, you know, you you go out at, you know, something odd like two in the morning or one in the morning because no right. one's around and you're putting your signs up until five and the sun's coming up. You're like, okay, I got to get back. And you know, the phone's going to start ringing soon or you got to get to work or whatever, but yeah, in the middle of the night, putting up bandit signs. So, um, that, that lasted until what, 2011, how long were you running wholesaling for? Or is it still a big part of your, of your business? I don't really wholesale anymore at all. Um, if I, if we buy, if we get something comes across our desk, we buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't, we don't assign. We'll, well, we have a few brands, investors that we trust that'll actually take something down. So we'll just assign, every now and then we'll do an assignment, but not very often. We typically buy mm-hmm. everything at this point. So I was doing that until about 2011. Um, I still had my full time job, but it was, I believe, in June. 2011 i decided to step away from my corporate job and just started going full-time real estate mm-hmm. so um i connected with a couple guys that really introduced me to the seller finance uh game and they were looking for someone who spoke spanish because they wanted to tap into the hispanic market here in san antonio so one of the guys mm-hmm. called me he's like hey and i had ran into this guy uh years before and he had asked me, Hey, do you want, let's do something. Let's go on a joint venture or something. I was like, ah, not yet. You know, I'm still trying to figure this out. And when I talked to him again, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. So I jumped ship and I went and started working with this guy and he introduced me to seller finance, but we started to tap into the Hispanic market here in San Antonio. So that's how I really got going and understanding seller finance. And I would sell when I first started, man, I was probably selling 60 to 80 houses a year. There you go. So we're just running through it. Were you running? Were you running the marketing in Spanish, or was um, it just like you got a Spanish person on the line and they're more comfortable with Spanish? Or, or the we get this a lot. We get this a lot in my market. Is like mm-hmm. the kid calls for the parents because they don't speak English great, you know, and they're and they're like translating for them and stuff. So. How did how did being Spanish um, or or knowing Spanish be an advantage, or how did that work exactly? It was it was definitely an, an advantage because I was able to communicate directly with the the parents, right? And that still mm-hmm. happens a lot here. You'll have the children call in for the parents, and then you tell the 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 child, "Hey, I speak Spanish." Oh, and then they'll pass the phone. Pass over the to phone, the and you're off. Right, and that and that still happens to this day right now but you know uh with the hispanic culture a lot of it's just really based on trust right and my wife is actually from mexico so i would bring her 
do my appointments with me and she would even talk to the families and having my wife there who's from Mexico really calmed everybody calmed everyone's nerves down you know a lot of these potential customers all have heard horror stories of somebody getting taken advantage of so mm -hmm. they're they're always not always but the majority of the time when you start communicating with somebody, they're more on the on the defensive side, just wanting to make sure they're going to be taken care of. So once you break down, once you communicate and able to communicate well with them, it, they'll let their guard down and and it ends up being a fun, really fun business. So, yeah. So, you, so tell tell me a little bit more about what you've been up to since let's say, you know, last five years or so, because we're at 2011, it's 2023 you know, business continues. What did you focus on between 2011 and, and today? Well, I really just started building my portfolio of homes. Um, I really, man, I, when I started buying my own, my portfolio of homes, I was buying houses here in San Antonio for like, or I should say surrounding areas of San, surrounding cities yeah. in San Antonio for like thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. So after going through the, the housing market crisis, I was so hesitant to get any type of loans. So I would save my first 10 properties. I would just save them by cash. I would mm -hmm. save 30, 40, 50 grand cash. And I would just, I just kept on doing that. till I had a small portfolio of homes where I felt comfortable enough to go ahead and start leveraging them out, borrowing against them. So I started off with some rentals, a couple owner finances, um, and then I was able to leverage and I was able to start doing the Burr method and just continue to increase my, our inventory of rentals. Um, after working with the bank for several years, they decided to let us start refinancing our owner finance product. Because really, I really enjoy the owner finance product so much more than the rentals mm -hmm. just because it, the cash flow is so much stronger, right? So yeah. much more predictable, not having to go back and fix anything. So once the bank gave us a green light that they would refinance our owner finance product we just started started building our inventory of our our owner finance homes so we have yeah, a little bit we, of both right now well we we i had your partner nick on um the podcast and he was kind of breaking down owner finance but for the people who didn't listen to that that episode kind of give us the short version of how that works the note and because people like i think they're somewhat familiar but i think it is a pretty well-kept secret that People could, you know, right now, I feel like the economy is really primed for the owner financing and, and what you guys are doing with notes. Right. So, well, it starts with the purchase of the home. We buy the house. Um, we focus on the affordable market, housing market. So everything with uh, after repair values under 200000 is where we want to be. So we buy the house, we fix it up, and then we put it up for sale. So our typical clients putting... $25,000, down, and we create a 15, 20, or 30-year mortgage. Now, the mortgage is set up with the RMLO. That way, everything is done by the book. So we, we close the title. It's handled just like a bank. So the process is just like a bank. The only difference between us and the bank is our interest rates. Now, being that our typical client doesn't have any credit or maybe has bad credit, our interest rates are a little bit higher, mm -hmm. right? So, but we process everything through a RMLO who double checks our paperwork to make sure that we're doing 
everything by the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we close that, we close that title just like a bank. So the buyer has title insurance, the house is put under their name. Now we've just created a mortgage that's payable to us. So when, as soon as we close the house at title, we do set, we do have a third party uh, note servicing company that collects the payments, collects the escrows. So we get all that set up again, just like a bank. We just, but we're the bank and our Mm -hmm. interest rates are higher than the bank. So right now our interest rates, you know, on the low end, they're at 9.9 on the high end, they're at 10.9. So nothing too outrageous. Mm -hmm. Um, When he was saying you guys are really trying to uh, match the roughly what a rent would be. Absolutely. We have to consider that we got to, we got to stay competitive with uh, local rents, right? Because if our payments get too high, a homeowner would just rather go rent a house as opposed to own a house. So we got to be like 2008, just disappear, stop paying. So we got, you got to make it ultimately affordable. Um, My, my first thought when I was listening to what Nick was saying, and again, with you, with what, with what you you're saying is when are you going to start teaching other people? How are you going to keep it to yourself? Oh no, man. I'm, I'm an open book. I, you know, I definitely want to start teaching people this, this seller finance business model. In fact, we are intending to open or to start a mentorship program. We just haven't kicked it off yet, but yeah, we are definitely going to do a mentorship program. Um, it's a wonderful business model. I'd love to teach it. Um, man, I have years and years of experience. I've, I've personally sold over 700 houses. I actually started counting at one point. So mm-hmm. we got tons of experience and it's just what we enjoy doing. So our mentorship program is going to be kicking off here real soon. Yeah. And I think it might be a product that, you know, it reminds me of a lot of like rent to own back in the day where people needed it. The product kind of evolved out of a need in the, in the, in the, in the market. And it feels like this one's kind of evolving out of a particular need too, because more and more people are becoming like self-employed they're, or or their income isn't all um, through their job. It's like through their job and a couple of side hustles, uh, Amazon drop shipping thing. And those, the bank isn't really looking at income. Like it used to be easy. Where's your, where's your W-2 and there's your W-2 and uh, here's a mortgage. But more it seems like people's finances are becoming uh a little bit more complicated and the bank isn't really rating it so i think that product is really going to take off um so you you guys are doing that primarily in san antonio or are you expanding that to other states what what are your plans for the the expansion of this business model well right now we're in san antonio and surrounding areas we do have houses in the rio grande valley which is four hours south of San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do buy outside of San Antonio, but right now, man, that just with our marketing, we're, we're doing very well right now in San Antonio. And if it ain't broke, right don't now, fix it. Right. Absolutely. So we have all intentions of staying here right now, but we'll see what the future holds. If we need to adjust, we'll, we'll be happy to adjust. Awesome. Awesome. So the big question for the guys who've been in the game for a while is if you could start again, what would you do different if you would do anything different? Man, if I could start again, you know, one thing I'd really do is I would do, I would tap in to social media. That was one thing I never did. I didn't start an Instagram page until 
at the end of April of this year. Mm-hmm. I was always that I was always that guy that operated in the shadows. I just never wanted to. I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. When I would go to auctions, like the monthly uh, foreclosure auction, I wouldn't talk to people. I just kept my cap, my baseball cap on, and I would just buy houses. And I just operated in the shadows. I was building up my inventory of homes just in silence. Nobody mm-hmm. knew who I was. And now that I really want to kick off this mentorship program, you know, I just, it would have been much smarter of me to start documenting back in the my day, process yeah. back in the day. Cause man, well, just like been, real estate with social media, the, the best time to start is 10 years ago, but you know, the right. second best time yeah. is today. So at least you're on it now. Um, mm-hmm. But this, but I think what you said was interesting. You know, my, my main real estate agent, he says the best pilots fly under the radar. And so, you know, not being on social media may have been a, a, you know, what you had to do to do what it is that you were doing, because it does take some of your focus and maybe things go different if you're trying to make posts about every property that you're out there doing and stuff like that. You're just doing, which is, which is huge. So um, if people want to get a hold of you and get on the list to get in to become part of your mentorship or they want to invest with you guys they want to put some money down on some of these notes how do they reach you man the easiest way to get a hold of me is through my instagram hank buys houses that's it just like it sounds all connected hank buys houses shoot me a shoot me a message and i'll be in communication immediately awesome awesome well i had a great time uh listening to the the story of 2008 all the way through and i really appreciate your time absolutely thank you very much for having me Awesome. And until next time, guys, see you on the next episode.